The very first funeral that I ever performed um, was a long time ago now, but, but I still remember it very clearly because of the circumstances. It was actually at Arlington National Cemetery, and the 94-year-old lady who had died uh, was the mother of our church secretary, but she was also the widow of a man who had been an intelligence operative in the Philippines during World War II, and he had been imprisoned by the Japanese, and his wife um, had spent two years living out um, in the San Francisco area with their infant daughter, wondering if she would ever see her husband again. And one of the things I realized that day was that, that our military wives also need to be honored um, because they go through an awful lot. Um, the man did come home. He was eventually released, came home at the end of the war, which was a great blessing. Uh, but as I look back on that day and I recall all the things that the attendants at Arlington did um, to honor that lady and her family, I thought, you know, despite all the benefits that we have um, for our veterans and for their spouses and, and families, there is nothing that America can do to give that family those two years back. It just it can't be done. But at the same time, it is still very powerful to say a heartfelt thank you because sometimes that's really all we can do. And I have seen similar scenes played out many times since then as a representative of our military presents a flag to a family member as a tribute from a grateful nation. Uh, and I think on this Memorial Day Sunday, it might be good to continue our series on our emotions by spending some time thinking about the emotion that we call thankfulness or, or gratitude. Uh, let me say this. It, it is almost impossible um, to overstate the importance of gratitude in the Christian life. In fact, I would say that without gratitude, the Christian life is, is actually impossible. Uh, one of the most striking passages in the Bible that talks about gratitude is mentioned in, in Romans chapter 1. Some of you know in Romans 1, uh, what Paul is doing is he's kind of rehearsing and going through the sinfulness of humanity, and he's saying, you know, what's wrong with us as people? And he says this, that although God's eternal power and God's divine nature are clearly evident to, to all of us as we look around us at creation, as we see God's beauty reflected in creation, as we see his order and his wisdom reflected in creation, and as we see the way that he provides for us through creation. Uh, we, we see all these things, and then it says in Romans 1, nevertheless, we did not honor him as God. And then Paul says, nor did we give thanks to him. And as a result, our foolish hearts became darkened and we started to worship created things rather than worshiping our Creator. So thanklessness, thanklessness is actually at the very heart of human sinfulness and our rejection of God. As a matter of fact, if, if you go back to the, the, the very first sin, the fall of man in the Garden of Eden, can we not make a case that Adam and Eve's sin in large measure was a failure of gratitude? Think about it. In spite of all they had been given, this beautiful place they were living, this incredible relationship they had with God himself, they somehow forgot about all that when Satan appealed to their sense of discontent. I wonder if Eve, at that very moment when the serpent talked to her, had stopped just for a minute and, and say, freeze frame, and then she had maybe counted some of her blessings. You know, maybe, maybe things would have turned out a little bit different that day. In Luke chapter, chapter 17, there's another passage that talks a lot about thankfulness. And in this passage, Jesus is on the border between Samaria and Galilee, and, and ten lepers come up to him, and they ask him for healing. And he heals all of them, 
But only one of them comes back to say thank you. But when he does, Jesus actually takes that as the very evidence of the man's saving faith, his thankfulness. And thankfulness is really a mark of Christians. We are, of course, instructed over and over again in the Bible to give thanks to God at all times, to give thanks in all things. In fact, it may be that thankfulness in the midst of any circumstance that we might go through could be the the number one calling card of a believer in Jesus. It could be the most obvious external evidence of a heart that has been changed by the Holy Spirit that we're able to be thankful no matter what. Now, thankfulness, thankfulness, we probably realize this. We know we're talking about emotions in this series, but you probably realize that thankfulness is more than an emotion. It's not just a feeling. Thankfulness or thanksgiving, it's a deliberate attitude that we're supposed to be cultivating. Uh, it's, it's a command, in fact, that we're supposed to be obeying whether we feel like it or not. And one of the reasons God tells us to do that is that the practice, the, the discipline, if you will, of giving thanks yields great benefits in the Christian life. It guards us against um, negativity and and fault-finding and complaining, and those of you who struggle with those things have probably found out by now that the deliberate counting of blessings and the deliberate giving thanks to God for the things that he's given you is a powerful, powerful tool in battling those habits of negativity. Another thing that thankfulness does, though, is it helps us to center our worship of God by putting our material things in, in proper perspective. Let me explain that for a minute. You see, on one hand, We all have a tendency as human beings to worship material things. Now, you might not have a tendency to fall down and bow to them or pray to them, you know, like like someone might have done thousands of years ago or in some other place. It isn't that kind of an idol, but it's still an idol. Uh, We tend to, 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 to make those things the object of all of our thoughts and all of our plans, but when we turn around and give God thanks for those material blessings, and we really do thank him, it, it actually it does something in our minds. It reminds us that those things are not the be-all, end-all, but that there's a giver, and that God who has given them to us is actually our real treasure, not the gift but the giver. As God said to Abraham in Genesis 17, I am your great reward, that God is our great reward and not the things that he gives us. And so it helps us to put these things in perspective and not worship them. On the other hand, Paul points out to Timothy in one of his letters to Timothy that he says some people actually go in the opposite direction. What they do is they start to define their godliness, they start to define their spirituality by their asceticism, by the pleasures that they give up, by the things that they go without, by being anti-materialistic, if you will. But then Paul says this to Timothy, he says, look, nothing, nothing is to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving. So thanksgiving allows us to enjoy the blessings that God has given us without feeling guilty for enjoying them, or on the other hand, making them the very point of our existence. So if we're truly thankful, here's the cool thing. We are free to enjoy God's material blessings, but we're also free to lay them aside when he calls us to do it. Thanksgiving is a very liberating activity. So it's very clear. The the habitual practice of thanksgiving is very useful and even critical to the Christian life. But let's ask this. What about the emotional side of this? What about the feeling? We're talking about our emotions in this series, right? So perhaps what we can do is at least, I know that these things all kind of blend together in our hearts and minds, but maybe for the purposes of this morning, let's separate the, the habit or the activity or the discipline of giving thanks, of thanksgiving, from the emotion or feeling that we call gratitude. Gratitude. What, what about gratitude? What about a heart of thankfulness? Where does that come from? How does someone achieve not just, not just thankful habits, but a thankful heart? 
Turn with me, if you will, to Psalm number 30. Psalm 30. Psalm 30 is one of the, the great Thanksgiving psalms, at least I think it is. And, and I, I want to read it to you this morning, and then I just want to make a few observations uh, about where a thankful heart might come from, and maybe a few clues as to how to get one, or if you've already got a thankful heart, how to become more thankful, or more grateful. Okay, Psalm, we'll read the whole thing. It's not a real long psalm. It is longer than the one that TJ read this morning, which was only two verses. This one's got about ten in it. It's very interesting, by the way, at the very beginning, uh, it says it's a psalm of David, but it also says a particular place at which this is supposed to be sung. A psalm of David, a song at the dedication of the temple. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help, and you have healed me. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord, O you, his saints, and give thanks to his holy name, for his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face. I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I cry, and to the Lord I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Pretty cool song. Pretty, whoa, wake up, everybody. Very cool song. Um, the first observation, I, and I'm, the first couple of things I want to say about this are like really, really obvious, okay? And the first one is this, that that gratitude is definitely an emotional response. It is definitely a feeling, all right? There are other psalms in the Bible that feature a lot of thanksgiving, but they're not like this. A lot of them are more almost liturgical in nature, like Psalm 136 is one of those where, where it'll say something like, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods, his love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords, his love endures forever. And it's really just a call for God's people to thank him and to obey that command. This psalm is different. This psalm is a lot more spontaneous. It's a lot more emotional, if you will. David is clearly very excited here, and he responds in in this whole psalm to the way that God has helped him and delivered him. And as he does this, gratitude is just welling up inside of him the whole time. You can just feel it coming out of him. He doesn't have to make himself thankful. He just is. He's feeling it. This is evident throughout the psalm, of course, but, but most of all in that last verse we read, David is so full of gladness, in fact, he's dancing. Did you ever dance a dance of thanksgiving? Now, David was a dancer. You might not be as much of a dancer, but there's got to be some way to just let it out, right? And David feels like he's never going to stop praising the Lord for his goodness and for his faithfulness. So yes, gratitude is a feeling. It's an emotion. It's not just a Christian discipline that we make ourselves do. So it's proper to ask ourselves if we really have that emotion, if we really do have that, that sense, if we really feel like that. The second thing I'd like to point out to you is another really obvious one, and that is this, that rehearsing the things that God has done for you does indeed promote gratitude, okay? In these first few verses in particular, David tells part of his story. He's been through some kind of a fiery trial. Uh, It looks like it might have been uh, maybe even an illness. 
It might have been something where his enemies were threatening him. We don't know exactly what it was, but God delivered him out of it, and it was a big deal. And this moves David to thanksgiving. In other words, don't give up on the idea of counting your blessings, right? I know it's kind of cliche, count your blessings. When upon life's billows you are tempest-tossed, count your blessings, name them one by one. It works, okay? It really does work. Not just to battle negativity and depression, but also to make your heart more thankful. But with regard to counting your blessings, let me encourage you to go one step further. If you're a believer in Jesus, you can do this, and, and what you need to do is count your blessings in the Lord's immediate presence. In other words, count your blessings in prayer. You could even say, pray your blessings. We don't always do this when we count our blessings. You, you, know, you can go ahead and list them. You can go ahead and write them down if you want, but then rehearse them before the Lord. Get personal with him. Pray to him. He's your father. What if one year you decided that you had just the greatest dad, and it was Father's Day, and you got him a Father's Day card, and you wrote down all these awesome things that you would like to tell your dad on this card? You know, you fill up the whole card. But then when Father's Day came, you forgot to give him the card. Wouldn't that be horrible? Wouldn't that be a bummer? It'd be a total bummer, right? So, so take your list of blessings that you have and, and give God the card. You know, go to your heavenly Father, talk to Him, pray. Father, you've done this. Father, you've done that. Thank you. For some people, uh, I, I say this because for some people, counting, counting of blessings is kind of a psychological exercise. It's like therapy. But for the Christian, it can be a lot more than that. It's actually personal. So take God your list, if you will. You know God personally, so it can become much more than just therapy and a psychological exercise for you. Count your blessings in His presence. Here's the third observation I want to make about gratitude from the psalm here. Gratitude can be a bridge to greater praise and greater faith. Gratitude can be a bridge to greater praise and greater faith. Look at the most famous part of the psalm here, verses 4 and 5. Um, you probably memorized this at one point. Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. Then the really famous verse, verse 5, for his anger is but for a moment and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. I'm going to make an assumption here, and I think it's a safe one, that whatever trial David is looking back on that he just came out of is not the last one that he's going to go through. There's more to come in David's life. And I say that because if you read 2 Samuel and if you read 1 Chronicles, you realize that the last half of David's life was very up and down. Right? It, was, it was a mixture of joy and pain, victory and heartbreak. There were deaths in his family. There were all sorts of setbacks and military issues and conflicts with generals and other people. I mean, he went through a lot of stuff. In fact, David, if you think about who David is, David was a warrior. He was a soldier. He was a mighty man of God. And if you think about how, how would it have been appropriate maybe for David to die, you know, go out on a blaze of glory and, and die on the battlefield, right? That's how David probably wanted to die. Well, guess what? He had to die a much more difficult death than that. David got old. David got weak. At one point it says that David couldn't even keep himself warm. He died slowly. So there were a lot more challenges ahead for David, just like there are for you and me. How will we face them? Well, maybe we can face them with the faith that gets strengthened in times of thankfulness. Notice how David here in verse 4 and 5, he generalizes. 
he generalizes. He's not just talking about this one issue or this one deliverance that God pulled off for him. No, he's, now he's talking about something more general, more, more, more basic. He's talking about the character of God. More than that, he's talking about a pattern that he sees over and over again in his life as he follows after the Lord. He says, yes, sorrow may indeed last for the night, but joy comes in the morning. That's what I found over and over again. And David is going to need to remember that pattern over and over again in his life as he's going to find out. And so will we. A lot of us go through hardships, and then God brings us out of them, and then we thank God, but we don't let our gratitude turn into praise. We don't, let our, we don't really reflect for an extended period of time on God's character and God's faithfulness and, and who God is. And so when the next trial comes, we fall apart all over again. I've been guilty of that. But what if instead we followed David's example here and we said, God, yes, you helped me. Thank you for pulling me out of this problem, out of this situation. But more than that, God, as I reflect upon it, as I think about you and and my life and what's happened, I realize, God, that that's just who you are. It's just what you do. You deliver your people. It's, It's your way of dealing with your children. And next time when I'm faced with another struggle where I don't know the way out, I will know that I can still trust you, God. I can praise you in the next storm because I can remember that you were here for me in this one. Give thanks to the Lord, it says in the Psalms, but then go on, for his love endures forever. This might be why David wants this psalm read at the dedication of the temple. Was David around for that event, by the way? He was dead. Takes place after he dies. But he knows that Israel is going to need this psalm. They're going to need to know that God will always be there for them like he was for him. Okay, only two more observations this morning, but the next one is probably the key to the whole thing. If you look at David's situation, particularly as he describes it in verse 2, you will see that David's gratitude... David's gratitude springs largely from the sense of helplessness that he had before God came to his rescue. And I think this is important. The level of gratitude, the level of thankfulness in our hearts is very much proportional to the awareness that we have of our need and of our helplessness and dependence upon God or upon others. If your car breaks down on the side of the road, what do you do? You reach for your cell phone to call your spouse or somebody else, right? But then what happens if you're like, oh, shoot, I forgot my cell phone at home, okay? Now you're in a bit of a pickle, right? You're in a pretty dire situation. Well, what, what if just at that, at that time you look in the rearview mirror and you see a car pulling off the road to offer you assistance? What is the emotion that wells up in your heart at that moment, right? It's gratitude. It's gratitude. And that gratitude is all the greater because you were really in trouble. It's all the greater because you were really pretty much helpless in that situation. Every year as, as Power Time Camp approaches, okay, I'm the director of Power Time Camp, and every year I lose sleep in my anxiety as the director because I need workers, I need counselors, I need boat drivers, I need ropes people, I need nurses, I need all sorts of people to make camp happen. And guess what? I don't have leverage over any of them to make them volunteer. I am totally dependent upon the kindness and faithfulness of other people over whom I have no control at all. Except maybe Wes and Courtney. I can twist their arm a little bit, I think. But everybody else, it's like, I can't say anything. In a word, I'm helpless. I'm helpless. And so the first day of camp, every year when I look around that room 
at four o'clock on Monday afternoon at the council orientation meeting at those faithful servants from all over our district who voluntarily will spend the next four days not getting enough sleep, trying to keep track of either 10 rambunctious children or 10 drama-filled high schoolers. And a lot of them are taking their precious vacation days in order to do this. You can bet that I feel a ton of gratitude, both to those precious people and to God for stirring in their hearts to do this and sending them to me. Gratitude is what you feel when someone comes through for you just at the right time, just when you need it at most. Maybe it was a financial gift. Maybe it was a, a meal. Maybe it was just to watch your kids for the evening. Maybe it was to get you out of a bind. Maybe it was in some sense you felt like you were under attack from somebody and someone bravely came to your defense or spoke up for you on your behalf. The gratitude just wells up in your heart. Why? Because you're in need. You're in great need, and you can't do anything about it yourself. And someone came to your assistance. Someone helped you. Someone came through. Gratitude often comes from that, from our sense of helplessness. But there's a flip side to that, and here's what it is. That's why gratitude can be so difficult for some people to express or even to feel. Because admitting that you're in need or that you were in need, admitting that you were helpless, admitting that you don't have what it takes to save, to solve every single problem in your life by yourself, that's a tough thing for many of us to do, maybe for most of us to do. I don't know how many middle-aged adults I have spoken to who are just killing themselves trying to take care of one of their aging parents. And the thing that makes it the hardest is that they get zero thanksgiving or appreciation from that parent for what they're doing and for what they're sacrificing. Why is that? I think it's because gratitude requires that we first have to come to terms with our own need, with our own helplessness, and it is so hard to admit that helplessness, especially to someone that you brought into this world in the first place and whose every need you once had to meet. And we don't like to do that. We don't like to feel that helplessness. And so in our defensiveness, what we do is we harden our hearts, we cling to the last remnants of our independence, and we may even attack the person who is helping us the most. And sometimes we end up in that place because back when things were easier, back when everything was going good, back when we had all of our strength and all of our energy, we somehow began to imagine that we were doing it all on our own. Look at David in verse 6. He says, as for me, he's talking about another time, he says, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. See, when things were going good for David, what did he say to himself? I am my own anchor. Well, what happened? He forgot for a time that God was the one who had made his mountain strong, as he says. And so God actually chose to pull away from David a little bit, maybe to teach him a lesson. And David said he was dismayed. He was dismayed. Now, the good thing is David responded the right way. He didn't respond by saying, well, fine, I don't need you anyway, God. No. He responds by crying out to God for mercy and forgiveness. It is not a sign of weakness to admit that you need help or that when something good happens, you didn't do it on your own. It's a sign of character, and it leads to a thankful heart. But not everybody has that. Back in Luke 17, we mentioned this passage before, the one about the ten lepers that got healed by Jesus. Why did those nine other lepers not return to say thank you to Jesus for healing them? Is it possible they had some kind of sense of entitlement because they they were Jews. They were God's covenant people. Maybe even they had the same sort of stubborn hearts that the Pharisees and the scribes had, and they thought that God owed them something for what they did or for, for being who they were, and they could never, ever come to admit their need for a Savior. 
That's because entitlement, entitlement, the feeling that God or somebody else owes you something just because of who you are, entitlement is the arch enemy of gratitude. We see this easily enough at the national level on Memorial Day. You know, as many people today are taking their freedom for granted. But the men and women who died to win our freedom did not do it because they owed us something or because we were somehow worthy of their sacrifice. At the very least, we can be truly grateful to them. The one leper who did come back to give God glory, Luke tells us, was a Samaritan, which means he was an outsider. He wasn't in the the covenant. He wasn't one of the inside people. You know, he, he, he just... Maybe, maybe it was the shock that this Jewish miracle worker would step in and help someone who had no claim on him. Maybe that's what ultimately led him to, to his saving faith. Why would God stoop to help somebody like me? That humility is the soil in which gratitude grows. Which leads to my closing observation which is also maybe kind of cliche, you know, just like count your blessings, but it's true. I'll say it this way. You can't thank God enough. You can't, somebody say, some people say you can't outgive God. That's absolutely true. You also can't outthank God's blessings. You can't ever give out enough thanks. David ends up the psalm by saying, I will give you thanks for how long? Forever. Forever. That's a long time. <laughs> if you really start counting your blessings... And you're really, you know, the, you know you're, you're actually very conscientious about it, and you get every single one. Guess how long it's going to take you? You won't ever do anything else. David realizes that God is a giver of infinite gifts, and so even eternity will not be a long enough time to adequately thank God for what he's done. You do realize that the cross was an infinite gift, it was, an in, it was something of infinite value. In order to really be grateful for that gift, first you have to crucify your own sense of entitlement that God somehow owed it to you because you were good or because you were smart or because you were available or because you made a good decision or whatever and wake up to your need. In fact, that's what the Holy Spirit enables us to do when we come to Christ. Do we truly recognize the need that Christ met at Calvary? Do we really understand that that our sin consists not just of a few dumb mistakes or even a few outright acts of rebellion, but that our sin has taken root in our very hearts and the way we think, in our attitude and our emotions, our desires, our passions, that they're all twisted by sin. It's a disease we cannot cure as well as a debt we cannot pay. It's both. Brothers and sisters, that is the predicament that God has rescued it from. He's rescued you from. And he's done it in Christ, in Jesus Christ, who traveled an infinite distance, made an infinite sacrifice, paid an infinite price to set you free from sin and self and from hell and judgment. It was an infinite gift. And it's one that we should be grateful for forever. Let's pray as Jesse comes. He's going to lead us in in one final song.